Hey there, welcome to the Lead Bold Podcast, a place where we engage in incredible conversations with amazing leaders in ministry and ministry partners as we encourage and challenge one another to live fully into what God is calling us to be. Each episode, we'll dig into three questions. One, what is hard about being a woman leading in ministry? Two, what is one transformational or even trajectory-changing lesson you've learned about leadership? And three, what does it mean to you to lead bold? We're so excited to share this conversation with you this week. We're taking a little bit of a detour from our three-question traditional interview. Uh, We're focusing in on a conversation that was had at our conference last year with Nancy Ortberg. Um, Nancy is an incredible lady. She had served as a teaching pastor uh, for Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois. She is a founding partner for multiple uh, leadership and consulting firms that work on faith-driven entrepreneurship. She's currently the CEO of Transforming the Bay with Christ, which is a nonprofit org that works to catalyze gospel movement in the San Francisco Bay Area. And on top of all that, if that wasn't enough, she's an accomplished author um, of multiple books and is truly just an incredible woman of God. And so we hope this week you enjoy an opportunity to hear a really powerful message that we wanted to make available to everyone from our conversation last year. Let's jump in. Hey, Lead Bold friends. I'm so excited to share with you this amazing conversation that I got to have with Nancy Ortberg. At last year's conference in 2019, she was our closing speaker and she was gracious enough to let me just sit with her in front of our audience and talk about real life ministry issues. It was such a great conversation. We talked about issues from developing other leaders to having boundaries to trying to have balance. And I know that you'll hear something in this conversation, even though it was a year ago, that is just for you today. Yay, excited to do this. Here's the truth. I did a lot of work for this conference really just to be able to sit down with Nancy Orberg and ask her questions. So you guys feel free to listen, but really, this is really just all about me. Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) So the truth is, well, hello. Hello, Nancy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. I've been here since noon. Yeah. Yeah. You've just been here, just like watching. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Watching all of you. Yeah. Uh, So when you registered, when you got your ticket, there was a little question on there of if you could ask an experienced leader one question, what would it be? And so we culled all of those questions and have kind of simmered them down into a couple, and that's what we're going to talk about. So hopefully this will resonate with you because these are your questions. So we're just going to kind of jump right in, all right? So the first one that a lot of people kind of had questions about, I think one of the struggles that a lot of us leaders have, especially as women, is that we have a lot of things pulling us in different directions, a lot of expectations on us. Uh, We talked already a little today about um, how difficult it is to make it a priority and to find the space to nurture your soul. And, you know, all of us, deep down, we want to feel connected to God and yet there's so many things that get in the way of that. So my first question for you is, how do you stay connected to God and stay filled spiritually? And what does that look like for you? So first of all, let's just be honest. The answer is it depends on the day, right? <laughs> it depends on the day. So sometimes when we hear as leaders especially, or women in general, how do we stay connected to God? The picture that pops in our mind is, this amazing connection with God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just a lie. It doesn't happen. 
didn't happen in scripture. So how we got to the place where we think that's our calling is kind of ludicrous. So let's challenge that thought first. And then I think the second way is to really understand how you're wired. There's a great book called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. He also wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. But in Sacred Pathways, he talks about 11 different ways that people reflexively connect to God. And that when you read this book, you should identify your top two or three. And you should, because of the way you're wired, lean into those two or three predominantly for the majority of your life. That you can challenge yourself and grow and stretch by using some of the other ones, but not by saying, I have to do all 11. So for me, what that looks like of the 11 that he gave, my top three are activism, leadership, having something to do, relationships, and nature. My husband, Mr. Spiritual Formation, is, you know, solitude, intellectual, journaling, which Jesus never did. <laughs> I told my husband, the reason we get so stuck in this quiet time box is because for hundreds of years, introverted men have been writing the story of spiritual formation. Mm. So a number of years ago, I was on a boat with a bunch of people. My husband was with me. We got boated out to Point Pillar in Half Moon Bay to watch the Mavericks surf competition. 50-foot wave, people screaming down the face of them. It was 75 degrees. It was a beautiful day. And I leaned over and told my husband, I have never felt closer to God than I do right now, even when I have my Bible open and I'm reading a verse. And John had his head over, throwing up over the side of the boat. So well, I thought you were going to say he was sitting there journaling right. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, same, same thing. thing. <laughs> I mean, what worked for me didn't work for him. And what works for you doesn't work yeah. for you. That's not just okay. That's the beauty of the body. Mm -hmm. And then I think you have to look at rhythms. What can I do daily? And... Even when I say daily, I'm a P on the Myers-Briggs, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. The only thing I ever do the same day every day is brush my teeth. <gasps> I always say that about That's me. Towner said it. I, do you remember Sybil from Willow? No, well, I just always say that. I always feel like this is gonna be the thing that I'm gonna do every day now. Like this is gonna be the thing. And then it's not the thing. That's not the and thing. then I, this is gonna be the thing. And I'm always like, the only thing I can do is brush Jay's my teeth. Jay's will do the thing every day. Yeah. So more And that's you. fine, you do that. Do the but thing every day. Making us feel guilty that we don't do that. <laughs> Yes. <Okay. laughs> yeah, no, there's so much freedom yes. in that. Yes. So much freedom that you don't have to be the way somebody else does it. Well, I think you does it. everything that I want to say till we're done, and that is to lead bold, you have to find your way to freedom. Yeah. That's the way you go. And so um, you figure something out daily, and if it doesn't happen every day or if you miss a day, my, one of my pet peeves is when people say, I had such a bad day today. Oh, I didn't, I didn't have my quiet, quiet time. time. <gasps> and God's like, well, that'd be superstition, not faith. <laughs> like, that's not faith. That's, it's, it's ridiculous. You have to challenge these voices in your mm -hmm. head. You have to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. And if there's a moment in the day when you reflect on a passage of scripture you remember or a conversation that you had or you're grateful, Honey, it all counts. It all mm -hmm. counts. I think for me, 
the way that the enemy is most effective in getting me not to pray is when I'm in my car and I say a 30-second prayer for Andrea, the very next thing that happens is this voice says, that didn't count. That didn't count. You weren't on your knees, your head wasn't bowed, and it wasn't 30 minutes in the morning. It would, and you didn't go adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Right. <laughs> you didn't I have had, an I had a youth pastor when I was young at, who must have been somebody who got up in the morning, did like that's when his time was. And he would make this analogy of that. So we're putting on our armor mm. and no soldier puts on their armor and then goes to bed. They get up and then put on their armor. And I was like, but I'm not a morning person. Like that never works for me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So it just, it's just all these messages that say this is what it is supposed to look like. And it's, I think many of us have sort of tried to model that. Let me say one more thing on this. Um, I grew up subliminally being taught, had to be in the morning, had to be 30 minutes or didn't count, had to have an acronym, had a journal. And I just remember thinking, I get so confused with the acronym, like, do I confess before I adore? No, 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 I think I have to adore first. It began to feel like homework. And then, you know, with your quiet time, the first book I ever wrote, the first chapter is called The Problem with Quiet Time. Um, I mean, you become a young mom, quiet, time, put together, are you kidding me? Again, this must have been written by introverted men. So this little box that you have to do all the time, and I think foundationally it can help for part of your life. It's not that I don't ever do it. I think anything you try to do every single day to connect to God is going to wear out its welcome. So you have to be redesigning and discerning Mm -hmm. and experimenting. but, and then realizing Jesus never journaled. And there's this wonderful passage that was just so lovely. The other thing that happens is if you have a quiet time on a regular basis, you know that you have to figure out a way during the day to somehow subtly and humility. Oh, put it into the conversation. Well, Andrea, when I was in Amos this morning. Yeah, you know, like, this morning in Jeremiah, yeah, I really I felt. I Jeremiah last Yeah, night. oh, yeah. yeah. Or in Jeremiah. prayers, like, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. with you, I'm with you. So this is great. Listen to this. In Isaiah 29, it's the prophet, so God's mad, and he says to Isaiah, you're going to tell him why I'm mad, and listen to what he says. Like, I don't think there'd be anybody in the room that wouldn't say, well, I've never done that. These people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Okay, their insides and their outsides don't match. Almost every day at some point. And then he adds one more um, uh, complaint. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. 30 minutes in the morning, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Tell somebody you did it, journal. So I would expect that the next verse would say, therefore tomorrow we start through a read through the Bible program. That's not what it says. Listen to God's solution for the inside and the outside not matching and following a way of religion that's about rules. Here's the answer to it. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon them. So anything you can do that moves you into a creative space, Mm -hmm. into nature, into awe, into wow, for 30 seconds is devotional 
and quiet time mm -hmm. and moving you. Yeah, I love that. It, it speaks to kind of even just this larger umbrella, which is another question I want to ask you about, about when we talk about freedom and kind of finding our way and, what, and, and leading bold is yeah. that, uh, that, e that the, just the struggle with comparison. I want you to talk about that for a second, because even at something like this, where I, I hope we have created a space that is mutually encouraging and affirming, and yet probably every one of us at some point in our time together has seen another woman and has compared, and we have fallen short, or we have not fallen short, and then we, co what are, we compare that way. So can you just talk a little bit about you know, do you struggle with comparison Never. and what is your, well, Never. so if you put, if you pretend that you, you do Amos, and you, you put it in, <laughs> what, how, what is your, your thought toward us about how do we get over that comparison game? It is so, so well, detrimental. The, one of the things you just said, anything you do that leaves you feeling inferior or superior is not the ray of Christ. Right. Yes. Anytime you feel that. Here's what you need to do is you need to spend just a little bit of time in John chapter 21. Where at the end of the passage, Jesus gets more angry at Peter for the sin of comparison than the woman caught in adultery. Let me say that again. Jesus gets more mad at Peter for the sin of comparison than the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says to Peter, when you grow old, when you were young, you got dressed and you went where you wanted. I tell you the truth, when you grow old, somebody will take you by the hand and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to identify with Peter the kind of death by which he would die. And one more time he said to Peter, follow me. And Peter said, yes, Lord, that's your will. I will do it. <laughs> Except what he said is he looked behind him and saw John and said, well, what about him? <laughs> if you're my age, you'll remember, let's make a deal. I've seen what's behind door number one. I'd like to see door number two and door number three. If you're younger, it's deal or no deal. I don't... I hear what you're telling me, God, but I got to decide for myself. I got to weigh it. And Jesus says to Peter, what is it to you if I allow him to remain alive until I return? You follow me. What's Jesus saying? Peter, you're going to die an awful, horrific death. And what if I let John remain alive until the day I come back? It would be so easy to go, well, you love him more than you love me. And Jesus says, what is that to you? It means nothing. You follow me. Comparison is acid to the soul. Mm. And every time you do it, you've got to dig down deep. You don't just do behavioral modification and say, stop. You say, why are we recording this? Yes. So why the heck am I doing this? <laughs> why? Why? You, you've got to go there. You've got to get a great therapist that will say whatever childhood trauma might have been there or just your own misguided thinking mm -hmm. or just being a human being and a woman. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. And then um, I think one of the best anecdotes for it is to learn to celebrate and be happy when other women have something that you wish you had. Oh, I love that. So my daughter um, two years ago had three miscarriages in 10 months. Awful. And during that time, she made the choice a couple of times to go to baby showers mm -hmm. and celebrate. Mm -hmm. And I felt super protective of her and said, right. you don't need to do that. And then super proud of her when she said, I think I do. Yeah. You know, it's Tara Beth was talking a little bit about that same idea of how, you know, what is it for us to support each other, to celebrate each other, to not see each other as our competition? It's that same thing. Absolutely. For sure.
Um, I wanna switch gears a little bit and talk about um, developing other people. As leaders, we hear all the time, like as leaders, we're supposed to be developing other people. That can be difficult because first of all, we're trying to develop ourselves. We're spinning a lot of plates. We have a lot of demands on us, as we know. Sometimes we have built into someone only to then have them leave <laughs> or to realize that, oh wow, maybe this was sort of a mismatch. Can you talk about what it is as leaders to be developing other people? Is that really important? What's the, where does that fit and intergenerationally and all that stuff? It's the ball game. It's everything. It's what leadership does. Leadership is about creating a way for people to contribute to make something extraordinary mm -hmm. happen. Say that again. Creating a way for people to contribute to make something extraordinary happen, which is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. Mm -hmm. It's everything. That it's hard, get over it. I got called to do a conference years ago back in Atlanta, I think it was Catalyst, and on my way to the airport, the guy called me and he said, you know that talk we asked you to do on leadership? Kind of weird, but somebody came today and did that topic already. I'm thinking, who's in charge of this conference? <laughs> so they said, could you just bring another talk? I'm like, I'm at the airport. <laughs> so on the plane, I just thought, what do leaders need to hear? And I just wrote a talk called Stop Being Surprised That Leadership Is Hard. <laughs> Stop. Of course it's hard. Honestly, great leadership in this topic in particular is like great parenting. No guarantee of outcomes. Sorry to break it to all of you that are parents. It's not a formula. But it is about developing people into exactly what you're talking about, Andrew, into who God made them to be, not who you want them to be, right. not who you need them to be. You have to develop their character, their competency. You have to discern their capacity. I hate that those all three started with C's because I despise you them. You try to not do that. I yeah. don't like that. It's so <laughs> contrived. Um, <laughs> It's Wasn't cumbersome sometimes, too. Wasn't that cute? Um, you have to be a student of the other. It's what it means to be a servant leader. I'm going to develop somebody else. You've got to hire people that are better than you, people that are going to intimidate you, people that you're going to feel less than because they're so much smarter than you. I well, just... and that goes back to the comparison thing. If well, you're comparing, you will not do that. That's right. And yet, as a leader, we have to do that. Because otherwise, the ceiling of your leadership is you. And mm -hmm. I gotta tell you, ladies, that's a really low ceiling. <laughs> really low ceiling. <laughs> it is not what you want. Right, right. Yeah. One so, of the experiences, yes. even with just this conference, that idea of crafting a place where something extraordinary can happen as people do that, I, I'm, I'm realizing that as we have developed this conference that is a leadership conference, it means it's full of leaders. So we have had more people coming like, how can I help? I know how to do that. I'll lead that. I'll organize that. And like it's that beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> no, not yeah. that. I'm being positive. I'm saying <laughs> that, that this, that just, this has been my experience of this conference and the work put in to do it is that it has been uh, so many different women stepping up and taking pieces of it. And I think that something extraordinary has happened because, because of it. Of that. And, and that is yeah. kind of the heart of what you're talking about. Yeah, last thing I'd say on development, I think about kind of a triangle of if you want to develop somebody, you need to give them opportunities, you need to give them a relationship, and you need to give them challenges. And if you can keep bumping around those three things, over time, 
And I, I gotta tell you, that time is gonna be hard sometimes. They're gonna get mad at you, they're gonna distance you, they're gonna attack you. <laughs> I had a guy on my team three days ago that I said, when you get mad at me, I feel like you get defensive and mean and you're looking to pick up pebbles and you just keep throwing until one hits me. And if it doesn't hit me, you just keep throwing pebbles. So we had to have a very difficult conversation. Um, so the, the ability to lean into conflict, you can't develop people without it. Yeah. You have to build trust at the same time. But you're holding um, in your leadership scope, their growth as leaders. And that's what makes extraordinary things possible mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. Um, thinking about conflict and just kind of the energy that it takes sometimes that we as leaders pour in and we all have had people in our, in our ministries, in our workspace, wherever it is, who really seem to suck that energy out of us. Sometimes we've had to set a boundary and it's hard. One of the questions that came up a lot is, what does it look like to set healthy boundaries? What, can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on all leadership and boundaries? Well, let's, yeah. let's start with conflict. Mm -hmm. um, super necessary absolutely necessary. Do you realize that in the Gospels, Jesus used difficult conversations more than prayer and encouragement put together to spiritually form people? Don't you wish he would have done that differently? <laughs> he was always often pushing and poking at the most tender places. I got to tell you, when the woman comes to him and asks for help, and he says, you're not worth the crumbs I would dust off the table to feed the dogs, that's just not nice. That is not nice. <laughs> So when we talk about, we just have to follow the love of Christ, like, okay, let's talk about what that looks like. Conflict is super necessary. Les and Leslie Parrott, that really is their names. They're a married couple <laughs> in Seattle who do marriage counseling, they're Christians. Mm -hmm. But they talk about this in the context of marriage, but it would, it would also replicate out to organizations that conflict is the only way to intimacy. Conflict is the only way to intimacy. And if I was not as old as I am, I would tattoo that somewhere. But right now, my skin is so crepey, I would have to mm, pull it. To okay, it. yeah, don't do that. Maybe a t-shirt? Maybe you could have a t-shirt made? Yeah, yeah. I like that. let's I like do that. that. Or one of those bands. Yeah. Conflict is the only way to intimacy. So as a leader, you have to get great at leaning into conflict, directing and facilitating it, owning your own junk, finding out why you want to avoid it, what those issues are. Um, your, your number one job as a leader is to be a non-anxious presence, which means for the entire rest of your life, you're going to be working on your own anxiety. Another fabulous book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, by Stephen Cuss. Phenomenal. So conflict is necessary for growth. The intimacy that you want on the other side, whether it's in marriage or on a team, is by going through the conflict, not by avoiding it. Um, great book on that is... Um, Patrick Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and Healthy, uh, Crucial Conversations, holy cow, great book, mm -hmm. and anything Brene Brown has ever touched or written. Yes. Um, healthy Boundaries. Um, I know Henry Cloud well, he's a good friend. Um, I used to tease him all the time. He wrote his book, um, Healthy Boundaries for Parenting, before he had kids, and I said, Henry, Henry, Henry. <laughs> Henry. I think... And I think Henry writes about this. I think boundaries are a double-edged sword. Healthy boundaries are absolutely necessary for defining who you are and refusing to let people encroach on you or take advantage of you. Absolutely. 
when you become a servant leader, there are times when you need to drop your boundaries and serve people that are going to suck the life out of you. And your discernment on what to do when is tough. And here's what will happen with discernment. You will never even come close to getting it 75% right. <laughs> so all of you that are ones on the Enneagram, I know you want to get up and leave right now. Um, for you sevens, you're like, wahoo. Um, you're just not going to get it right. That's what I'm sorry for. That's why apologies are super important. You cannot build biblical community without regularly saying, I'm sorry, authentically. So boundaries are tricky. You need them, and then sometimes you need to drop them. Yeah. And you have to do the very best you can. And if you make a mistake, join the human race. Right. Join the human yeah. race. I love that. I mean, in a way, I love that it's not an easy answer. It's not a black and white answer, and it's not the same one for everyone right. or every relationship. Right. Well, and you look at Jesus sometimes working so hard, he had to get in a boat and get pushed away. He fell asleep. He was not a poster boy for balance. So, and then there were times where you're like, where did he go? We need him. He's like, I'm out of here. I don't want to talk to you. So there's this, there's this rhythm of, of boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so switching gears again, no one of the big conversations that our leadership team had as we developed this is that we wanted this to be a space that was open for a broad, um, theology of, of doctrine around gender roles. And that has come up throughout our time, and it has, I know, been in your conversations. Uh, I know that we come from different places, and some of us, even as we have aged or gotten older, have been different than we were before. My question is, as women who are leading in all sorts of different ministry contexts, what do we do with the doctrinal differences when it comes to gender roles, especially if we're... Um, I have a friend who is married to someone who has a different understanding of scripture. People are in a church where maybe they're different than the church or whatever. Can you just give some wisdom because you have been in all sorts of contexts yeah. about what do we do with that? I think the first thing is be clear on your own stance. Um, the only resource that I will give you that my introverted male husband actually wrote or, or, or recorded at the Seeds bookstore online at Willow, um, there's a four-part CD, I think, series on men and women in ministry. And he goes through all of the passages in Scripture and exegetes them for him through a very egalitarian lens. That's what he would be comfortable with. But if you feel like you're more complementarian, there will be resources. You need to wrestle with the passages enough that you're pretty clear on your stance. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes to the work that you do as leaders on a church staff or in a nonprofit organization, I think it's simply there are two choices. Let's say especially if you're at a church. You can either choose to stay and be an agent of change. That will not be a fast process. It may not be a successful process. Both of those things are okay. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah. Many of us are called to be in places where we will never see outward success expressions of what we're hoping for. And that's just the truth. So you can stay and gently nudge conversations and ask questions and be gracious and firm and help change things over time, maybe, but just be that. Or you can say, this is one battle I'm not gonna fight and I'm going to go to a place where my gifts are fully recognized and I'm free to leave. 
And even in those places, you're not as free to lead as everybody thinks you are. Because what people say, and then when they run up against a woman leader, are two different things. But I think those are your main choices. Mm -hmm. And be real clear on what you think. Mm -hmm. Be gracious, but you don't have to back down. Um, and read and ask other women that are strong leaders. Listen to their stories mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah, I love that challenge to, to dig into it ourselves and to figure out what what do you believe? Where are you seeing? What, how is the Holy Spirit revealing that scripture to yes. you? And, and, and it's okay to ask the questions and it's okay to not be sure. It's okay to not, I think, land somewhere. It's okay. Not be definitive. Yeah. Here's the truth. A lot of us, all of us are going to spend eternity with God having been wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> I got a Jesus. Some of us more than others. I got, no. <laughs> I got a Jesus card in my back pocket and I'll just keep throwing it down. So let's just say this along with many other issues. Here's what you need to know. There are people who love Jesus and hold a very high view of scripture mm -hmm. that on this issue and other issues would say complementarian egalitarian. This is a sin. This isn't a sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting conversation. Have a beer. Talk about it. Agree to disagree. Be friends. And then look at that Venn diagram of Jesus in the middle and say, that's all I need to put my foot down. I love that. Thank yeah. you for that. Sure. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about church. <laughs> Just throwing out this uh, broad question. Take it as you want. Um, what are, so you've been in, the, in church leadership for a long time. What are some things that you've learned along the way or a thing about being, um, about working in the church? Churches are one of the weirdest places in the whole wide world to work. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Um, leaders think that work in a church and then just say, oh, I'm horrified by the underbelly of the church. It's like, well, look at your own underbelly. <laughs> um, I try not to look at my underbelly, <laughs> to be clear. Come on. Um, any organization, any system, anytime there's more than one person involved, it's going to get weird and hard. That's what leaders do. So have your feels, get it out, and then stop being surprised by it and instead say, hmm, well, that's interesting. Let's talk about this. Because this seems odd to me. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, I think churches are hard places to work also because many of us that work at churches have unconsciously gravitated towards them because we want a soft place to land where everybody's always nice. And again, you look at the Gospels and Jesus just wasn't always nice, but even unconsciously we're thinking, you know? I, I remember one woman saying, um, I can't believe after six months of taking care of my dying mom, my church wanted me to come back to work. I said. I can't believe they gave you six months off to do that. There's not an organization in the world that would do that. You figure out your life without somebody else figuring it out for you. Um, honestly, the number one metaphor in scripture for growth is death. Jesus, in his incarnation, primarily suffered. Why we think our leadership is going to be different than that is baffling to me and I do it too but um, I think to turn that conversation on its head and to say yes the church's underbelly is weird um, minus two <laughs> um, we're in this together let's see what we can do to make this a healthier place mm -hmm. um, and in fact 
Um, if you go to our website, tbc.city, at the top, we're bringing in Patrick Lencioni, who I was a corporate consultant with for 12 years before I did what I'm doing now, and we're just gonna do a morning in November on how do you build healthy organizations so that God is glorified. So it's really an invitation to leaders only, and you can bring your team. This is not an open call, cattle call. It's for men and women in leadership roles in the Bay Area, either in places of faith or they bring their faith to the marketplace. So great resource with Patrick, who mm -hmm. just talks about how do you make an organization healthy. And churches really ought to be leading the way. I was with Pat one time at a conference, 10,000 people in the room, CEOs of corporates, uh, not Christians. Uh, Patrick, when he talked about conflict, because he talks about building trust so that you can have conflict, so that you can make great decisions, so that you can hold people accountable, so that you can get great results. That's sort of his framework. And he said, what, what organizations do you think are the worst at conflict? Nobody breathed in unison. 10,000 people yelled out, churches! And I'm like, oh, damn. Oh. So embarrassed. But kind of but true. It's true. But kind of true. Yeah, how do you, so for those who have seen the uh, devastating underbelly of the church or who have been hurt by it or who have, um, me, me all that, you too, I know. So how do you, how do you not get jaded? Or how do you manage your jadedness? Is that a word, so jadedness? Easy. It doesn't start with a C, so I'm gonna Oh, okay. It. Super easy, you understand your own brokenness. I don't think there's a sin I'm not capable of giving the right set of circumstances, and I genuinely mean that. I think that a lot of our sin comes from willfulness, but also from woundedness. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I really hate, okay, so whatever. Um, can you understand that the other person is behaving that way for things you don't know? Uh, there was a great post on Facebook the other day that had the continuum of somebody's life and it showed about an inch of this is all I see, and this is why I need not to judge people. So yeah. you don't collapse, you don't get jaded, or at least you don't stay there. It's okay to be there, but you don't stay there. In and the jaded yeah, place, you start yeah. having conversations about, I think something's wrong here. I think I'm part of the problem too. I think together we can move towards health. What would that look like? Mm -hmm. It's then, a challenge. I mean... We can spend the rest of our lives and will spend and will. the rest of our lives and doing will. that. And will, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, another throwing it out there. What is, uh, one, talk about mistakes. What's one of your biggest mistakes? And yes, we are recording this. So many to so. choose from. I mean, that's another thing I think leaders need to get really comfortable with. Um, I remember when I was on staff at a church in Chicago and it was a, large church and I was given some opportunities to preach and it was a great church where you got coaching ahead of time and immediate feedback. I used to say, if you sneeze, you got feedback. That was a seven, you could have done it better. It was a little overkill, but still super great for growth. My first three sermons went pretty well. The first one they gave me was Mother's Day and I said, it lacks imagination, but I'll do it. Um, <laughs> the second one they gave me was Labor Day, and in the Midwest, nobody goes to church on Labor mm. Day, but I did it on faith and work. Uh, Michael Novak's book, Business is Calling. The fourth time I preached, our senior pastor was out of town, and you know, this is like, oh, God, I can just relax. My first three have gone well. I got this. So he gets back into town, listens to the message, calls me into his office. I come up there all cheerful with my little notebook, and he said, tell me what you were thinking. 
And so I explained the framework and he said, mm, that was a rhetorical question. What the heck were you thinking since we're recording? Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it was kind of all over the place. It didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't hold together. And here's what I think happened, Nancy. I think your first three talks went so well that you got complacent and you did not do the work you needed to do to the sermon. Now, my first response was, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to take that very seriously. Actually, inside what I thought was, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? And the Holy Spirit said, mm, he be your boss. <laughs> let's, just, let's just start there. I was mad and embarrassed at the same time. I left his office fighting back the tears. And it took me two weeks of wrestling with God, which is not a long time for me, to finally go back and say, um, you're, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And I did it on a stage in front of thousands of people. And most people came up to me after that talk and said, great job, wonderful sermon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wasn't, so don't do that. Um, but to be, not only to have done it and then to have been called out on it, right. was not. Yeah, that's, that's huge though, because I, what I, I think we have all felt is the, the mad and embarrassed at the same time. But so often we don't recognize the embarrassed one. We just know that we feel mad and to look inward and know, oh, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. That's huge. And then to then wrestle yeah. with the big questions yeah. of did I fun. really? Because mad's more fun. It's got yes. power in it. Right. And, and we can blame other people for not setting us up well or if not, whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for any of you that have not read Renee Girard's work on scapegoating, you probably ought to spend a little time in that too. It's brilliant okay. and annoyingly convicting. Mm, accurate? Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we just have time for a little bit more, but... Um, as we kind of wrap up here at the end, I forgot I was supposed to invite some of our people that were gonna be passing something out to you. Did that happen? No, okay, my bad, my bad. I am mad and embarrassed that I did that. So the $100 bills aren't coming? Uh, right, no, we're switching it up. Uh, so we're gonna begin to kind of pass a little thing out. You'll get it in a minute. They'll just start it at the back, just hand it up as it goes through the rows. It'll be like a reverse offering you take out instead of putting in. Um, but can we, so this is Lead Bold. We've been talking about what it is to lead bold. You've spoken a little about that you think it's, you know, that it is freedom. Can, can we just circle around that? What is it to you to lead yeah. bold? What, how have you grown in leading mm -hmm. bold? What, were, what do you say to us who are trying say, to lead bold? It's such a journey. It's such a journey. My, I've been with Transforming the Bay with Christ for four years now. My first 18 months was like swimming in jello with no goggles. I woke up almost every day saying three things to God. I don't get this. I don't think it's gonna work. Pretty sure I'm not the right person. <laughs> and through those 18 months, and you know, it sounds funny now, like I was scared to death because I had said yes to the job. I, I couldn't figure it out. I, I felt an anxiety rising in me that I'm not always aware of. For 18 months, that's a long time. And I read two books, neither of which were Christian books. 
that helped me immensely, maybe because they weren't Christian books. I read Grit by Angela Duckworth, where she says, passion's important, I'm a passion girl. And she said, the data shows perseverance trumps passion every time. So let me get this straight. Perseverance and passion. She said that. She, oh, you're not. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to ask. Okay, okay. So, like, what does it mean? What if God is saying your perseverance is more important than your success initially? Or what if getting to outcomes that you hope for is through perseverance? And then I listened on Audible to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, who started Nike. So, here's what you know you already know. He's a global multi-billion dollar success. You're not worried about what's going How's to it gonna end? No. Yeah. He's not a believer, so I didn't read it for his faith journey. I think he overworked to the point that he probably harmed his family. I didn't read it for that. It's kind of like when I watch The Bachelor and my husband judges me, I'm like, he says, why do you watch this? This is not a good framework for dating. It's like, I'm married, I'm not dating. <laughs> it's a train wreck. I'm not looking for ideas. It's a train wreck. It's like, what? And it's mindless. Yes, yes. But Shoe Dog, here's what I loved about Shoe Dog, his leadership. Almost the entire book was this journey of leadership. Mistake, 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 learn, pivot. Mistake, 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 learn, pivot. And I remember saying out loud in the car to God, I know how to do that. What I don't know how to do is have it all figured out ahead of time. And there are leaders that do. They get a real clear picture. I'm a visionary leader, but the vision is vague. There are some leaders who, this is my goal. They set goals along the way. They follow it. They hit them. They get there. I don't lead that way. I just go, oh, wow, that didn't work. And I shouldn't have said that. And, oh, she was good at that. And he did that great. Let's pull them together and let's pivot. So I think leading bold is being able to be as engaged in your leadership when things are going well as when things aren't and to bring humility to it. Dallas Willard said the definition, definition of humility is very simple. It's just reality. It's just reality. Mm -hmm. So every time you live in reality, you are being humble. Um, so I think that's part of what it means to lead bold. I think leading out of who you are and not who you wish you were and who everybody else is. And then I think there's a discernment. Sometimes leading bold is exactly what it sounds like. It's taking risks, it's making decisions, it's moving forward, and sometimes it's keeping your mouth shut and listening. And the W word that I hate, whoa, 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 waiting. Waiting. Because mm. God has a plan, but he also has a pace. And letting it unfold and not being anxious to make it happen all the time. I love that. In we don't think about bold and waiting. Those mm -hmm. seem to not go together, but you're, See, they, they do. The letter, so of course no, no, that's true. Yeah. No, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Um, if, you have, if you have a chance to look up Frederick Faber, F-A-B-E-R, and the slowness of God, and you read that quote, that paragraph, hate it, love it, hate it, love it. It's great. Um, and then I think the most important thing is our boldness isn't even about our leadership or our outcomes. It's that we get Jesus. It's we get Jesus. At the end of the day, everything gets stripped away. Your children, if you have them, your marriage, if you have them, your singleness, if you're enjoying it, your work, it all gets stripped back. Mm. And that's it. 
And if I lose sight of that along the way, which I do all the time, I'm going to miss the ability to be bold because that's what I rest in. Yeah. That's all. That's, I love that's that. what it all boils down yeah. to. We sang a little bit earlier, and I think one of the lines was something about my confidence is in your faithfulness, and yeah. the boldness is in what we already have, what and, we and have through Jesus. we're learning that every day, aren't we? Yeah. And relearning it. And, you know, I go looking for my best self every day. There are days I never find her. There are <laughs> days when I find her for just a few minutes. Every once in a while, I'll have a day where most of the day I lived out of her. And it's the same with believing that Jesus is enough. There are days when I don't really think that. There are days when I believe it for a few minutes, and there are other days where I rest really well in it. Yeah. And those are, those are good days. Yeah, I love that. Well, just in our last, I want to just have a couple more minutes, and we all have the thing that was passed out among yeah. us. Um, so I want to just give you a couple times to share just one important thing that you want to share with us. Yeah, so you all know what these are. They're not redwood seeds. They're mustard seeds. Um, I uh, had a, one of my kids of many years ago was far away from God for a very long time. And boy, that's just a journey of surrender of epic proportions. And my anxiety was high enough that there were mornings that the only thing I could do was say to God, would you pre please bring this kid back to faith? But it probably won't be today. So this is all I'm gonna talk with you about. Because honestly, the more I pray, the more anxious I get. Mm. The more I'm trying to control it with my prayers. Mm. So that's it. And then, this kid came back to faith. And we had some great conversations. And of course, this kid felt a lot of guilt and all kinds of other things. So I bought a little bowl of mustard seeds. And I told him in the morning when you get ready to go to work, just pick one up and slide it under your fingernail. Depending on your nail length, it will last a little while or it will just completely be gone in a minute. It doesn't matter. Pull it out on your drive to work and just roll it between your fingers. I think as Christians, we set the bar so high. And Jesus said, when you do that, it's like putting a millstone around the neck of children. Quiet time, 30 minutes every day, don't miss it. Be the best leader, be the best parent, be perfect, be good. And Jesus is like, um, faith the size of a mustard seed, really, really small. Um, I do a talk called, If I Had Been Jesus' Leadership Consultant. <laughs> And I talk about four reasons I would put him on a performance evaluation plan and probably fire him. And the second one is language. If you're going to start a movement, you match your language to the movement. You talk about tsunamis and seismic shifts and tipping point. You don't talk about salt and light and yeast and seeds. That's ridiculous. Except that Jesus created the universe on the operating system of the disproportionate impact of small things. Mm. And in our leadership, we have to believe that. That little tiny things that don't seem like they're always going to amount to much are mustard seeds. And so I would just it, invite you to take those home, put them somewhere, and just fiddle with them until it becomes real in your life. That doesn't mean you don't have to do big things. That doesn't mean you don't have to make decisions. But this right here, this is the reminder of who you are and who Jesus is. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're Thank welcome. you for letting us pick your brain and You're hear welcome. your words. Yeah. Thank you.
Man, what a powerful message and words from Nancy. Just incredible to be able to share that conversation with you guys from last year. Um, And a continual reminder of what Lead Bold is. It's a place where there is um, a space to be honest and talk about the tough stuff, to talk about the stuff that's going incredibly well, to, to talk about balance, to talk about boundaries, to share in the ways that God is moving through our ministries and through um, the interpersonal dealings that we are working with every day. Um, if you enjoyed this, please let us know. Um, and also, if you'd like to get more information on our organization, you can find everything you might be looking for over at leadingbold.org. We'll see you next time.